Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of WCW Retro. I apologize for the little bit of a late start. We had a little bit of technical difficulty uh, getting the show, getting connected to the show, and then everybody being able to call in. I am your interim host, Howard Morgan, filling in for Stro Maestro as he continues to recover with his rehab and um, getting stronger each and every day. Um, just continue to pray for him, uh, pray for his you know, speedy recovery. He was on for a little bit last week. We were thrilled to have him on, um, and he's going to try to call in as often as he can. Um, and then to get right back here on Thursday nights to resume command of WCW Retro just as soon as he can. Um, and, again, you know I don't do this show alone. My very special co-host is the man who once won a staring contest with his own reflection, and he actually taught a German shepherd to speak Spanish. That's the agent extraordinaire, the one, the only, Chaz Moretti. Chaz, how are you doing tonight? Well, it sounds like you're giving away all my secrets there, Howard. <laughs> just, just a couple. Just a couple. <laughs> how are you? You know why we, you know why we had all these, all these uh, technical difficulties, right? Why is that? Just tell Brady, tell Brady that. Stop being a tightwad and pay the bills. <laughs> you, it's either that or it's a conspiracy the, on the part of Rat Boy to keep me off the air. One of the two. Well, that, 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 the second half may may be true, but you're saying so. This is a whole cover up, and he didn't pay the bill, and he's trying to say oh, that it's a con- you know, it's it was a technical difficulty. Yeah, I got technical <laughs> I got difficulty. But anyway, yeah. happy to be here as no, always. But, it's freezing. It's Freezing freaking cold in Chicago, but since I haven't seen the outside since November 22nd, I don't care. It's 78 degrees in my house. It's all good. <laughs> there you go. How, how is your rehab coming, brother? How's everything going? Another day in the life, dude. Getting stronger every day, arms and legs. And uh, I think my wife is probably starting to get sick of me being in the house 24-7, but oh well. <laughs> January 24th, we get fitted for the Bionic. Uh, they're all lined up to make sure that it's 100% right, that it's the right style. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a temporary, like any other injury. You know, I said it I said it on Monday, and I'll say it again. An athlete is only truly tested when he stares down the barrel at a major injury and comes out the other side stronger. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely, I love the. I saw I saw you posted that, and I and I absolutely love it, and I absolutely one thousand percent agree. Um, yeah, I didn't. But, you know, we're, we're happy. Up, by the way, but I use it. I don't know who made it up. It's <laughs> off right. unknown. So I took credit for it, like anything else in wrestling. You don't know who right, did it. Right there, you go. Yeah. Right, you know, if you don't know whose gimmick is it, it's yours. You you get it and take it and run with it. <laughs> It's all um, good. But before, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give a shout-out real quick, though, to Dave Kerr, to the amazing Velvet. And he's still battling cancer and all the nonsense that comes with it. So all the best to the amazing Velvet. All the best to Dave Burt. 
All right, we get them out of the way. So now, yes. excited about yes. the fact that Iron Claw opens up tonight in select theaters and then everywhere tomorrow. That ought to be interesting. Yeah. I won't be able to see it until it comes on Max. Uh, that's in January. It's going to be on uh, HBO Max. So that's when I'll be able to see yeah. it because I won't be able to see it right now because of the fact that I can't get out of the house. So it's all good. Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Um, I haven't been excited to see it, you know, and one, I mean, it is a, you know, it looks to be a very good wrestling movie, but a very good movie, you know, uh, you know, aside from that, and I haven't been this excited to see a movie in a long time. Been, I don't know if we'll yeah, go out this week to do it. They were taking a little bit of flack because um, they basically wrote Chris Von Erich out of it, which is stupid, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I heard that um, Michael Hayes wasn't happy with not being, you know, at least, you know, an advisor or at least asked about the movie with, you know, with as much history as he has with the Von Erich, you know, and it is what it is now, but it's probably one of the guys you should have at least had a conversation with. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that Hunter Hayes that's playing him in the movie, who's a spot-on, um, spot-on replica? Yeah, and I, and I tell you, they, they, you know, they did a great job with with casting the movie, um, and and getting you know guys to have the look and not only look so but, but seen, to build. I haven't these seen guys. MJF yet in bleach blonde hair, so we're gonna see that happen when he's because he's playing uh, Lance. That's not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the almost forgotten Von Erich. <laughs> but not you know, real, it, it, it ought to be good. Good What's old that? Ricky Vaughn. I said he was yeah. the not real Von Erich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All um, those. Songs. And, and oh, I know. Okay. And I and I know tonight we're going to talk about you know Christmas matches and Christmas you know whether whether they're they're gimmick matches whether it was matches that took place around you know on and around Christmas time and. The Von Erichs had a, a, you know, a good three or four year run there of doing shows on Christmas Day. We were talking oh, about more that. than that. You know, almost a decade. Yeah, it started in '82 with the Christmas yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I went back and I found one from '83. Um, yeah, Christmas Star but, Wars started in '82. '82, wow, '82. Yep, then, yep. Christmas Star Wars. It was oh man, what a star-studded card that was, really from top to bottom. But before we yeah, kind of you know what? jump let's, into let's, that, let's, yeah. let's let Rep for you before he has a conniption fit. He's going to oh, sit there going, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. before Taz was. Yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me uh, – I, 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 I apologize, Rap what? Boy. I was – I, would, uh, I got caught up in my conversation. You apologize in advance for the screeching you're about <laughs> to hear. Cover your ears. Yes, and, you know, and this is generally the time of the show where our ratings kind of – Take a little die. Rap boy, what's going on, buddy? Man, it was cold out there this morning, trying to be in an elf suit, passing out those tape, those uh, flyers to, to uh, one show I'll be doing in a couple of weeks. Boy, it was cold down Columbus, but I tell you what, everybody, I'll be there Saturday. And the elf Who costume once again at Columbus Farmer's Market, and plus, Chaz. Well, I got you the. I got you. Comes farmers market. Oh, nice. Chaz, I found something mm. today just for you. Oh yeah, what'd you find? Another leg? 
No. <laughs> no, because I'm missing one, bro. I can use another one. Something a lot better. Something a lot better. I just handed off the Santa Claus. He's going to oh, drop it off me. on Christmas Day. Bro, he's going to be underneath your tree. Twenty-two-year-old blonde. No, he's going to be underneath your tree. Wait, wait, it's wait. A, you ready for this? Wait, wait a second. So it's not a twenty-two-year-old blonde with 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 big gazooms. It's not a new no. leg, and it fits no. under the tree. I don't want a dog. Yeah, those. No, 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 This is something that you really need. I already told you what I really need, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> you need, you're ready for this? Yeah. The best present ever. It's a wheelchair with skis on it so you can get out of the house. Oh, that'd be nice. I know Amy would <laughs> like that. She told me today that uh, she's, how did I put this uh, nicely and, and appropriate for airtime? She's royally sick of me being home 24-7. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, 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 when it comes when it comes to your house, that means you could just jump on on that uh, wheelchair with the skis, get a dog, and tell the dog say, "Yeehaw, let's go get an iron curl, baby." Woo! Oh, yeah, I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna love to try to get down the stairs with that thing. You'll be really yeah, right. Your life has ready. <laughs> you can fit him into a success box. <laughs> but but before we 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 get into the the topic of the show, I did read a, a rather interesting story and I know we we've given Vince McMahon and, and the WWE you know a lot of crap on here, you know, about its production and its, you know, I guess lack of interest over the last couple of weeks. But I just read yesterday or the day before that they signed um Bray Wyatt to a legends contract. And yeah, as I'm reading you know, it, what's good about that stuff? They signed them to a legend so that they can send the royalties to the family. And I yeah, think, you know, one thing, you can say what you want about Vince and Triple H and Stephanie and, and the rest of the family, Shane and whatnot, but they take care of their own, which is good. Yeah, and, and, right, and, and that's what I was going to say. You know, <laughs> all the stuff that we've, you know, how bad he is and, and, and whatever, how, whatever you think of him, they are taking know, care can't... of this man's children. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't bash a guy that sent Tammy Sitch to rehab 16 times. Not his fault. This is true. Here. Right, this is true. You know, and, and and of all of the the things that we criticize him for that we see on TV, it's the things that he does behind the scenes, like you said, to kind of take care of his own and, you know, to make sure that everybody's taken care of that that's not so much publicized or, you know, some getting as much of the spotlight um you know, that, you know, um, again, I'm going to say it one time. These internet marks get on my last nerve because you know what? Who who invited them behind the curtain? I know I didn't. Right. Right. Okay. So they want to go, Oh, you should have done this and you should have done that. And they want to keep exposing the business. You know, they can just change the channel because I, I am sick of seeing, I'm sick of hearing from, some 42-year-old fat guy living in his mother's basement, sitting on a computer, trying to tell me about my business. And he's never seen the inside of a ring. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just, you know, and for every, you know, good story like I read there, I did one that was, I don't know who wrote it. He, he It sucked me in because it said um, WWE Hall of Famer, 
to debut on AEW Dynamite. So I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear anybody's signing with him. And not that I follow every single story. As I'm reading it, they're talking, they're promoting it. I think it was AEW Dynamite. And you get about a third of the way through the article, and it's Jim Ross coming back to the broadcast position with Tony Schiavone. Who cares? Well, I, I, get, I, I get it. The, 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 he, he's, he's coming back, but the whole WWE Hall of Famer kind of is a little misleading in, in, the, in the headline. Like I thought, you know, maybe they had some secret signing that they were waiting to to announce, and it's just that Jim Ross was coming back. And I'm like, I just wasted two and a half minutes of my life reading the article to find out that it's somebody that already works for the company. He's just coming back from whatever leave that he was on, and he's coming back to television. Welcome to WCW like, 2.0. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Chad, what, what are what, what are your, your memories you of? Talk, yes, you can't talk badly about these guys, or they won't book you. <laughs> they ain't okay. Me anyway, we don't care. Right. <laughs> Unreal. So, Chad, what what are your memories of Christmas time as, as it relates to to wrestling? Like, what are your some of your memories um, well, from I mean, your childhood yeah. childhood on up till now? You know. Prior to 1984, uh, moving from New York in 75 to Chicago, 76 to Chicago, AWA didn't do a whole hell of a lot around Christmas time. They did uh, they did wrestle they did wrestle rock. They did that Sunday show, but that was before Christmas, not during. So there wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on at Christmas time. But um, one of the shows that really stuck out with me prior to seeing um, prior to seeing all the Christmas Star Wars shows from WCCW um, was the um, the day that actually killed one era in New York and started another, and that was on Boxing Day. That was on the 26th of December, 1983, when the Iron Sheik defeated Bob Backlund for the world title in Madison Square Garden. That was the end of the old WWWF and the beginning of the modern WWF. And so it was a evening which was broadcast on Madison Square Garden TV was something special, as all the garden shows were. If you hadn't been to a garden show between 71 and 83, you missed out because those shows were electric and they were always on a Monday night. And so the... Um, uh, the, the Boxing Day show was definitely on a Monday. And when the Iron Sheik defeated Backlund, you know, it was uh, it was definitely a, a change in era. You knew that, it, you know, the old days were never going to be the same. Yeah. yeah so the, that's the, one thing that really the, came to mind is that, um, yeah, the old the old days were, were never, ever going to be the same. No, it, you know, and, and I wish I would have, Taken, you know, those those years for granted because that's right around, you know, eighty two, eighty three was when I was really starting to get into wrestling. You know, as we talked about last week, cable television was was just kind of getting started, and, and you were exposed to a little bit more wrestling. Um, I, I don't you know, know we had. Put, on, I don't know if it's still on the network. Okay, I don't know if it's still on the network. But they used to have it in the old school section. They used to have the uh, in the 1983 
season. They used to have the the um, the Boxing Day show. We're back when lost to to the Sheik, and that's a great show. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check and that because I, I do show. watch. Yeah, when I do, when I when I when I'm not watching something else on TV or the current product, I do turn on the network and I I do go back to the territory days and, and I watch the old matches from Madison Square Garden, you know, the Boston Garden. Uh, I watch a lot of the oh, old um, Georgia Championship Wrestling, the old world-class Mid-South. And I just wish that, like, I knew that for me, that these were the, like, the glory days of, of what I would remember of wrestling. And it, it was to, at the time, because, you know, I, I was young, I was, you know, 12, 11, it was just another wrestling show that I got to watch, and it exposed me to a, a little bit more, you know, a bigger, a little bit bigger audience of, of wrestlers that I really didn't know, you know, had existed because we were kind of trapped in that, you know, the WWF New York, you know, territory at the time. And I just wished that I knew that it was, you know, that. You know, like I that, said, Crockett uh, couldn't do it Christmas. There were very few that did a lot on Christmas. Crockett didn't do a lot on Christmas. Texas, it was big. Uh, Georgia, I'd have to look it up to see if they really did a lot of Christmas shows. And I know Florida now, yeah, anything on Christmas. No, I, I, there is one. I, I'm just scrolling through. Um, let me pull it back up again. Um, it's from actually 1982, Georgia Championship Wrestling on Christmas Day. It was a six-man tag team match with on one side it was Andre the Giant, Stan Hansen and Tito Santana against the great Kabuki, the mass superstar and the super destroyer was the main yeah, event. Andre worked um, Andre worked every Christmas somewhere. I mean Andre was a working fool. He was he was working thirty he was working basically three hundred and fifty odd days a year. I know he always took. They said he always took New Year's Eve and New Year's Day off, but he was working. Other right. than that, he was working, you know, fifty odd weeks or fifty one odd weeks a year. Let's just see where they what they've got here. So I'm I'm just looking up the the network. They basically let's go in this this season here. Where are you at? So no, that's eighty eight. Let's go backwards. Let's see if they got what they've got for eighty three. The nice part is they started in the seventies with the stuff that's on there currently, which I find interesting. Yeah, I, I watch some of that too. I, I, I go back into the seventies and you know, when it was almost pure wrestling at that time. It was hold for hold. Oh hell yeah it was. Most definitely it, it was, was, you know it was and, and and when you look at it compared to today's product, we would say that these guys had, you know, a limited move set, but the the way they they put the moves together, they you know you could have you know um, Pedro Morales and Gorilla Monsoon just saying you know have a match and they may have only had five or six moves but they would have a great fifteen twenty minute match using them five. Well, oh, you know who was you know who was underrated as all get out was Stan Stasiak. Yes, yes he was. Stan Stasiak was so underrated. Very good, very very good wrestler. Very underrated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Stan was like a mainstay. So let's see, what do they have? So this is the '83 collection. Uh, let's see. 
what they got from the garden. Hold on. Yeah, they got it. It's still up there. December 26, 1983. Watch it while you can. It's the whole card. Oh, oh yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out because I do. I, I, I've already seen it before, but I, it's been a little while, and, you know, and, and I'll have to see it again because that, to me, watching that when when I found out that, you know, the Iron Sheet beat Bob Backlund, I was, I had no. First of all, I had no idea where where the company was going after that but i you know what the nice I, part I was, was in shock you know what the nice part was back in 83 we didn't think like that we didn't think about the company no one no. gave two craps about the promotion you know what you cared no. about who's going to beat the sheik who's yeah. is it back going to get his title back is it hogan who's going to win Who's going to beat the Chiefs right. and when? We didn't right. know. Is it, is, it, is, is it going to be? Is it going to be Tito Santana? Is it going to be you know you know Jimmy Sutton? Whoever it could have been, we just wanted somebody. I would somebody. like to find out. I, I would like to run into the fool that I would like to run into the the fool that decided. Okay. Um. I would like to run into the fool that decided to tell. Everybody, um, what how our business runs? Because I'd like to slap the crap out of that guy. Yeah. Okay. You go to yeah, the circus. I, you it, don't it, care how they perform the stunts. You just watch. No. You go no. to see David Copperfield. You don't want to know how he makes the elephant disappear. You just watch. Right. Well, I just no. want to watch him watch that make right make that elephant disappear. All That's all I want. Right <laughs> all these knuckleheads right now want to know what goes on behind the scenes. It's none of your business. Watch the damn show. Be right, just that. enjoy it. And, right, enjoy it for what it is. And you know, yep. and, and I think we, you know, this being the you know a, a magical time of year, we've lost that magic. We've lost that that veil has been, you know, not not only open but almost torn completely down and you know and, and I admire guys that today the, the modern guys like an MJF that still you know keeps his character still where, where, wherever he's at whether you know he's he's in front of a crowd or he's on a talk show or even just out in public he is MJF every time he's in the public eye he's nobody different and we talk, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about this it a million times. It. You know, we've talked about it a million yeah. times. It's it's always it's always the same. Very few get it. And I don't have any I don't have much use to I don't have any I used to argue with these marks. Now I just don't care. I have no interest in arguing with stupid people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't I, have any. I don't have yeah. any interest in, in arguing with stupid people. You know, they used to always right. ask me. They used to ask me all the time. Oh, uh, Chaz, uh, uh, you know, uh, we don't know where your character ends and where you begins. What character? I am who I am. Please. Right. Right. And if I wanted you to right. know about my private life, I'd invite you to the house. Idiots. Right. Leave right. me alone. That's like people. People tell me, oh, well, you know, wrestling's fake. Yeah, and and Tom Cruise is really a fighter pilot. Yeah, we, we I get it. I, I get it. Yeah, don't okay. believe that that Tom Cruise is a fighter pilot for two and a half hours. 
You know, why can't you I'm believe saying, that, you know, you know the Hulk Hogan... I love when they say wrestling's fake. Because then I invite them to get in, to come in for a fantasy camp. It's fake, huh? Okay. <laughs> come in and take a fantasy camp. Learn how to bump. See how soft the ring really is. Right, oh, right. Trampoline, isn't it? Oh, sure. Come on. Yeah. Spend your $50. Yeah. <laughs> come on to the fantasy camp. Spend a couple hours, and we'll see if you reform your opinion. Right, right. You know, and 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 I, and I, that invitation will go out to anybody that says that. You know, I and just listen. Go go for an hour. Try it for one hour, and and you know, oh, after uh, the hour, we'll ask yeah, that same question Christmas again. Star Wars started. Christmas Star Wars started out in '81 when WCCW was still known as uh, NWA Big Time Wrestling. Interesting. Oh wow! Wow. Interesting. In fact, wow. the first card. I'm just reading about this. The first card um, had Kerry Von Erich defeating Ernie Ladd for the American Heavyweight Championship. Bruiser Brody and the Great Kabuki went at it in a cage. Fritz defeated wow. Gary Hart in a cage. And people would say, well, you have more than one cage match. That's because uh, the reason why they have more than one cage match is that uh, they rented the cage. And so since they rented it for one night, they stuck as many cage matches as they could. The other one which is interesting is El Negro Assassinino, who was a, a lucha from um, over to, just over the border in Nogales. He wrestled a young man named Richard Blood. To a time limit draw. And if you Ricky know anything Steamboat. about wrestling, you know Richard Blood is Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat. And of course, yep. you got to have the midgets. Mm. You got to have Tiny Tom and Little Tokyo. Uh, Jose Lothario wrestled Ernie Ladd. Blue Demon, whose son is still wrestling and uh, managed by my good, uh, agented by my good friend Carmine Despirito. Blue <laughs> Demon and Al Madrill defeated Arman Hussein, alias the Iron Sheik. And Carlos Zapata. El Solitario, who was Mil Mascaras' brother, uh, defended the UWA Junior Light Heavyweight Championship against Killer Tim Brooks. <laughs> Tim Brooks was 12 biscuits north of Light Heavyweight. But that was a stretch. <laughs> Great Kabuki beat Fritz von Erich in a Texas death match. Uh, Kevin Carey and David beat Frank Dusick, Bill Irwin, and, Ten- and Tenju in a six-man. And then the famous Big Daddy Bundy won the Battle Royal in a two-ring Battle Royal. That was the very first Christmas Star Wars. Wow. And that was in 81, you said? That was in 81. And that was prior to... um, That was prior to WCCW forming. But you know, the funny part is WCCW was... Even though they were one promotion, and you had you had Paul Bosch in Houston, and you had Joe Blanchard in in, uh, in Salt West, and you had you know all these different, they were all run out of the Dallas booking office. Fritz had all the talent. Fritz had all the talent nice. in '82. Let's see if there's any notable matches in '82. Uh, David Von Erich and uh, Bill Irwin for the Texas title. Ah. Uh, the fabulous Freebirds as baby faces in a in a eight man a six man tag 
It was Hayes and Gordy and David Von Erich winning the six-man mm. championship. Kevin defeated King Kong Bundy by disqualification, and this is when Kerry got his first title shot. Ric Flair beat him in the cage for the NWA world title. But that was 82. Wow. Yeah, and, 83 uh, is what I have. 83 is what I have up now. That's one of the ones I look back, and that's one of the early ones that I remember actually yeah. watching, you know. Um, and sure. it, it was a great card, you know. Um, Jose Lothario was on the card. Um, Jumbo Saruta, Giant Baba was on there. Um, in fact, Giant Baba defeated King Kong Bundy. I saw Saruta, Tenyaru, and Baba wrestle a six-man in 85 in Chicago at uh, the very first Super Clash. Man, Baba was older oh, than wow. dirt, but he could still move. <laughs> you want him. Baba at that wow. time was older than dirt, but he could still move. Nice. Yeah, I, I I always liked Giant Bob. I just I thought he was very. I mean, he was first of all. I mean, he, he you know rightfully named. I mean, he was big. Um, and WWE world looked, title, world champion. Yeah, and just looked like you know he could just snap you in half with, with just one hand. You know, just, oh, yeah. oh yeah. In fact, you know, um, the way he won the title was a double underhook suplex. Oh wow! It goes to figures. And then you had 83, you had David Von Erich uh, challenging Flair and winning by DQ. And then Kevin and Mike beat the Birds in a loser to Beach Town match. That's when the Birds were going to, um, they were either going back to Mid-South or they were going to Crockett. I think they were going back to Mid-South. Yeah, I think they were headed back to Mid-South at that time. Which, again, was kind yeah, of funny I... because the talent swap between Mid-South and, Te- and Texas was just phenomenal. So, I mean... Again, but as the fan, we didn't care about any of that stuff. Talent swaps, uh, going from territory to territory. We didn't care. We just wanted to know who won. Right, yeah. Who was wrestling and who won. Exactly. And if, if all you saw was world class, because cable back in 83 was there but not there. So if all you saw was just your local... Territory, you know, the birds lose lever, loser leaves town match. You're like, good, we don't have to see these idiots anymore. Right. Kind of reminded yeah. me of what happened back in the 70s when Bobby Heenan lost the loser, got uh, suspended for, I don't know, six months in the AWA. And we didn't see him again for a few months. And we didn't know he went down to Georgia and, and ran right. down there, you know, restarted the family in Georgia with Bundy and. Star and, and Killer Carl Krupp and all that. We didn't know about that stuff. All we knew is we didn't have to hear Bobby Heenan's annoying ass voice for a while. Right. We were until Bobby he back up again. until he came. Right until he came until he comes back again. And and that's what's exactly. missing. You know, into that. You know, and again, you know, the internet has a lot to do with that. But a Jimmy lot of Cornette, it has to do with that. Jimmy Cornette said it best. You cannot. Put the feces back in the horse. No. Once you no, let it you out, can't. you cannot put it back in the horse. Period. Bobby Heenan said it. We showed, we showed the average person how our magic tricks work. Stupid. You yeah. don't believe me? Go on YouTube. Watch the Bobby Heenan shoot interviews. He says it more than once. No, no, yep. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard him say it probably at least three or four times in, in some of his interviews. And um, to the quote-unquote workers who back in the mid-'80s decided to let Dave Meltzer in on all our secrets, I hope you all die with festering boils because you ruined it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I really wish that you know like like that that like I said that magic would you know never actually never left because obviously we can't get it back. Like you Long know, forever, it, my brother. There was just yeah, there there's something about that, and you know, and again, especially with W WCCW, you know, with all of the the cards that they ran on Christmas Day, you know. You, and it was amazing that, that you're able to get people to come. Unless Thanksgiving's, you know, a, a little bit different because by, you know, three or four o'clock everybody's done, and I can understand having a match at night, you know, going and into Starcade and, and all of that. But Christmas is a little bit different, you know. It's it, it's really, you know, to me it was always about being home with family and you know going around. The, you know, to your grandmoms or the this, that, and visiting for, people, but they still showed up folks, on Christmas for, Day for in Texas. a lot Texas. of folks in those territories in those days, those tickets were stocking stuffers. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah, looking I, at I, Christmas I stocking, was, you got two tickets to Star Wars. Oh, great, we're going. It, it, but, yeah, I think it was – it might have been Tully Blanchard that said that. He was – he was – on a, on a interview and he was talking about you know how especially down in Texas kind of you know where where he kind of cut his teeth was it it was a big deal you know around you know the, the week of you know Christmas and New Year like you would you would literally give two tickets to somebody as a gift either on Christmas Day or the day after or whatever for the shows that were going in and around you know the Texas area because it was just so big you know, in that state, and it was it was so well attended for the most part. You know, you even take state. a look at you even take a look at at movies, at fictional events. Rocky One comes to mind, 1976, right? When was yeah. the match held? New Year's Day. New Year's Day, yes. You know, the first yes, thing you ring it out for said he was the promoter. Welcome to the Spectrum and Happy New Year. So I mean having having big events on holidays was at the time a proven moneymaker. Now, not so much. But then again, what is? I mean, ever since the pandemic, attitudes have changed about leaving the house. Even though we're yeah. quote unquote no longer in the pandemic. Which I found interesting. All of a sudden, one day it was, oh, guess what? It's done. Gee, thanks for telling us, because yesterday it wasn't. Oh, asses. But right. now, the Christmas show couldn't draw flies. Right. It won't. And, and even you know, st- sticking with, with with your Rocky reference, I think on Rocky Four when you bat- battled um, Ivan Drago, I was believe Christmas. it was in Russia on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Yeah. Christmas Day. <laughs> Well, but don't forget it was yeah. Soviet Russia. But what they what they sure. failed to understand is, even under communism, even um, Stalin and Khrushchev Christmas, even though it was communist and they were supposed to be atheists, they still decorated Red Square for Christmas. 
Yes, 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 they did. Russian Orthodox Christmas is a little bit later than ours, than Christian Christmas, but, or Catholic Christmas, but they still decorated Red Square for Christmas. So, I mean, you know, yeah. Christmas is a, is a big deal. And nowadays, again, not so much. You got the internet, right. you got Zooms, and people aren't traveling, and, and I get it. I get it. And, you know, we used to make jokes out of, uh, out of having the family gatherings because every year you'd see those one set of cousins that got on your nerves last year, and guess what? They got on your nerves again this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, then, you know, the, the Christmas shows, they weren't a big deal up north, though. Don't forget, our weather at the time, our weather sucks in the wintertime. You don't know what you're going to get. Some years you got snow, some no. years you got 70s and rain, some years it's sunny outside and colder than crap. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get up here as far as weather is concerned. But <laughs> down south, you pretty much understood, unless it was tornado season, what you were getting. Right. You know, yeah, even this year, yeah, this year, the forecast, at least for, you know, our area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, it's going to be 53 degrees on Christmas Day. Yep, yep. 56 here in Chicago and rain. Rain the whole weekend. <laughs> so anybody looking for a white let put the postcards <laughs> out there. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and like I said, Vince Senior didn't run on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but he damn sure ran Boxing Day. He ran the 26th, yeah. a because it fell on a Monday. It was his normal. It was his normal. The last Monday of the month was the normal Madison Square Garden show. And so, what did he do? He gave people a gift. He changed the title after six years. And no one, and I don't care who you are, there would be some smartass out there going, "Oh, I, I knew the Sheik was going to win." Nonsense. Nobody picked the Sheik to win that match. No. No. No, not at Everybody all. Everybody thought it was going to be another walk. Everybody knew Backlund's shoulder was hurt, but they figured he'd pull it out against the Sheik. No one figured the Sheik to win that match. And, yes, I use words like win, figured. Uh, notice I'm not using, uh, well, they put the strap on. They didn't put the strap on nobody. Back in those days, yeah, they knew what was going on in the booking office, but they sure as hell weren't going to tell the average fan. Right. Because it was money or yes. Right. And, and, and I remember, you know, when he threw the towel in, it just seemed like that towel took forever to to fall to the mat when you watched it. And you're like, oh, like, well, you know, why, why did you do that? Like, you know, you, 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 you took first, his chance away. When I first watched it, I didn't even know it was in the ring until the referee was calling for the bell. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I was all like, you know, and, and I felt, you, you almost felt cheated because, right, and you, you almost felt cheated because Backlund's come back from far worse, you know, against other wrestlers. You know, why, you know, why did you, to us, you know, watching it, you threw it in, you know, prematurely, you know, what, you know why didn't you just, Give him a couple of more minutes. He would have gotten out of it. He he would have turned it around, and we or never got to Dusty see that. Rhodes and passed out. Right. We, or yeah, we never. Dusty did and pass out from the pain. Yeah, and that was what Kansas City or St. Louis when that happened. Uh, Dusty did it five or six times. He did it in Greensboro yeah. against Flair one time. He passed out from the pain. Yeah, I I remember watching that, and I'm, and, and 
you know, it just, you're right. You know, I, I wish we, you know, you know, could just relive or, you know, get those, those moments back and just get to experience it through, you know, that, that tunnel vision that we had, you know, in the, in the eighties, you know, seventies and eighties and, you know, be able to, you know, to capture that again. My wife, what are, what, are, what are your thoughts on Christmas, buddy? You've been a little bit quiet. I know. I've been busy trying to fix my computer up here, you know, because it keeps on freezing <laughs> up on me. It's cold well, up here in the New York Pole. the library and actually go out and buy your own, you'd be all right. Right. <laughs> it's cold up here in the New York Pole. Product of the New Jersey Man. Public Library and just not yours. <laughs> This way, you guys were down below somewhere, and I'm up a little higher than you guys. Oh, here well, we go. Well, has got to get a better internet connection. He's got connections. No, I'm connected now. So, so what are your, no, what are your no, thoughts well, on, on Christmas? You, you, you guys, it's like to be down below, you know, like third, the third floor. I'm up on a six oh, or seven floor here, you know. Oh, cool. wait a minute. <laughs> Nobody treats you as good as we do. It's right. cold up, 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 up this way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I get you. When you move higher in, alive and in the time. world, it gets colder. In the summertime, it gets harder. Okay? When, you, when you're up there in the penthouse suite and all that other stuff. Right, no so what's, your, what's your memories of wrestling around Christmas time? My memory is that one time, okay, when Santa Claus, okay, a gimmick, Hornswoggle to talk. Remember that one? Santa Claus. You know, and all of a sudden he started talking. That's a gimmick right there, you know? Absolutely. And plus there was another one that, uh, uh, which one was it? I'm writing a paper for the Santa Claus. That's a gimmick. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's another good one. Well, I got one we, for we, you we, guys. We you guys ever remember the? Um, you ever remember the gimmick where um, they used to bring out the big Christmas present, and almost yes. always inside that Christmas present was that billet of butcher. Yes. Yep. That was great. Uh, again, you know, it, you know, it, it's things that you know we'll we'll never never be able to get back. And you know, I, you know, I I I loved it. And, and we we can't forget. I think it was the USWA out of Memphis when uh, they brought out the Christmas creature before oh, he yeah. became king. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. One of the few one of the few things that. Really, and listen, you know, Lawler and Dundee and them guys down there had had a great, you know, a, a great vision. But then there were some things that just didn't work out so well. <laughs> I, I think that yeah. was one of them. The Dingo Warrior comes to mind. Unbelievable. Yeah. An Australian wow. douchebag that is from California. Love it. <laughs> God rest Unbelievable. Yeah, I, and I remember, I don't, I don't remember who was in the in the box. I, it was Jim Cornette was was talking about. It, it was during a Mid South TV show, and 
um, they, I forget who he said they had in the in a box as a present, and they had like a uh, something going on in the arena at the, at the at the studio, and they had to evacuate the studio for I don't like forty five minutes. Well, they never told whoever was in the box because they all forgot it about him that the building was. What was it? It was Abdullah. Wasn't that they okay? They left in the box the whole time. Yeah, they left in the box the whole time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what it was. That's right. And, oh. You know, the, the funny part was, you know, when, when they used to do those things where somebody was under the ring, there was no way to tell to tell them anything. You know? No. And Bill was standing in this box trying to figure out what the hell was going on. <laughs> What's going on? That's right. It was a long show. <laughs> He's like, oh, there so must I'm be a commercial. At, I'm looking at the archives. It's 89 is when they stopped running Christmas, and they started running January instead in WCCW. Oh, wow. They mm. ran Christmas wow. up to – they ran Christmas. Let's see if they ran Christmas in uh, – yeah, they ran Christmas all the way up to 88. 89 is when they stopped. Then they went to January. Okay. And they had, um, 1986, they had, had you know, again, uh, Star Wars 86 was Abdul the Butcher and Bruiser Brody in a match mm-hmm. on Christmas Day. How, how would you love mm-hmm. to see those two guys go at it just one more time? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, you know I, it, it's absolutely. amazing that, you know, and, and again, you know, you're watching it and just like, man, these guys just literally just hate each other and no matter what stipulation you you put on a match with these two guys, it was never enough for them. It's like they 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 hated each other so much that no matter whether you put them in a cage or whatever, no just whatever it was, it just never satisfied them. I mean, listen, we we got entertained because they, they were they were great performers, they were great wrestlers, and it just these guys made you believe that they still wanted. Each other, like the 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 score was never going to be settled. There was never going to be a a blow off match where their their feud was going to end, you know. And of course, we know what happened to Bruiser Brody. And had that not happened, I think those two guys would probably still have gone on for another fifteen years doing that, and everybody would still watch it easily, easily. You know, they they were just that good. And again, guys that were. You know, limited but not limited, but they were just bruisers in the ring, well, and just just know, phenomenal were, talent to to sit and watch. They were wrestlers, you know. They weren't uh, yes, they weren't young kids who're going. I don't want to work on the holidays, and you know, I should be at home. You want to be at home? Go get a real job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Take off those stupid looking tights and your and your gym shoes and your kick pads and go get a real job. And then um, I pulled up another one. It was Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Jim Cornette's promotion. Um, the Gangsters and the Rock and Roll Express at Christmas Chaos, nineteen ninety four. Yep. And and I remember the 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 the. the um, the legal battles that the gangsters, um, you know, um, set out it wasn't with. Even um, Jimmy Cornette put him up to all of it. 
hilarious. Right, right. Yeah, and and you know, and honestly, it, was just it wasn't that. even their, it wasn't even their idea. Jimmy put them right. up to all of it. But it, but it was just such a great, you know, backstory to everything, and you know, everybody that watched it, they, they, I mean, they, they bought into it hook, line, and sinker. You know, sure there, there was, you know, you know, and it was just so, so well done. Um, you know, it, because it, it was organic, Howard. They weren't reading yeah. from a script. Okay, they were given right. bullet points. And told to convey this message, and right. that's what made it special and unique, is that they weren't um, they weren't just acting per se. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, on the same card, you had Tactus Jack and Tracy Smothers against Boo Bradley and Chris Candido. You know, again. Yeah. You know, a, you know, great Buddy Landell and the Dirty White Boy for the heavyweight championship. You know, Buddy Landell, great. Buddy Landell was thanking God for Jimmy Cornette back in the mid '90s because nobody else wanted to book him. Yeah, he had got that reputation because because of his his demons and his transgressions and his lack of reliability. Yeah. Uh, you know, no one wanted to take a chance on Buddy Landell except for Cornette, and then Cornette. Again, the genius that he was, and not a lot of folks know this, and they like to try to rip on this guy because of it. They claimed he was a wannabe, but he wasn't. Cornette says, "I got to put Buddy Landell with somebody that'll help that'll help him carry the load." He put him with Paul Lee. They were the Nature Boys, right? And so now, yeah. a lot of folks wanted to rip on Paul. A lot of these internet morons. Wanted them rip on Paul Lee, going, you're not a real nature boy. You're not. You know what? Why don't you go do some research and look up Smoky Mountain, and you'll find out that Paul Lee, when he was in WCW, as an enhancement talent or as a carpenter or whatever you want to call him, I don't like that other evil word people like to use. Yeah. It's disrespectful. Okay. No, Paul wasn't a mark, uh, and Paul wasn't a jobber either. That's the term I can't stand. Paul was a legit nature boy. Okay? He got that from Cornette. You know, Cornette took a chance on a lot of young guys. Case in point, Robbie Eagles. Knew he'd go any further. Yeah. Cornette took a chance on him in the early 90s. And look what happened with him. The old maestro. Gorgeous George III. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know what? God bless Strove for... being as gracious as he was and having that gimmick ripped away from him because of his pedigree and whatnot, I'd have fought that tooth and nail, but Stroh was smart. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I always liked Buddy mm-hmm. Landau, whether, whether I liked him, liked him or, you know, appreciated what he did. I just, yeah, he was one of those guys that, you know, had a ton of potential. He could talk, you know, he could work. But his, you know, his own, his own demons and his, and his own vices are kind of what did him in. And like you said, he became unreliable. He, you know, he, nobody wanted to to work with him. And you know, what what a um, just a, a shortened shortened career he had because of you know of the things that he liked to do that you know that you know other people may not have liked to do or could handle doing and. and 
you know, without getting getting out of control. But I always liked him, you know, in, in Mid South. I mean, not Mid South, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling is where I where I first saw him. Um, and he's with J.J. Dillon at the time. Um, yep. And J.J. Dillon was his manager. And I thought those two guys were, were great together. You know, because they and, could and both talk. Like God. Yeah. And the funny part is, um, you know, you take a look at you, you take a look at these guys, right? You take a look at, at Buddy being managed by J.J. And who was the feud that he had? Ric Flair. Yeah. It was the carbon copy of the feud that Flair had years earlier with Buddy Rogers. Only Flair didn't turn, didn't pass the torch, so to speak, because again, Buddy was all messed up and, and couldn't, um, you know, and couldn't control himself. Yeah. But again, when you watched him work, yeah. though, you don't know what was going on inside of Buddy's head or what he or what he was on or what he was drinking or smoking or doing whatever. Because Buddy, right. was, you know, he got in the ring. He was Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Yeah, it was and go time. Go. When the bell rang, it was go time. I mean, I always, I always tell the story, and I tell it with admiration, not with disdain. DAC, about five, six years ago, there was a singles match at the Showcase Show between Marty Jannetty and Sam Houston, and their notorious part at the time, they were both notorious partiers, okay? Sam and Marty were at the bar downstairs from the venue. And they had to go get them from the bar. They went from the bar to Gorilla to the ring. Okay? They get in the ring, introductions made, bell rings, and they were as sober as two priests on Sunday. You could never tell that they were drinking five minutes earlier. Because they were professionals. That's what they did. Look at look at John Sandman. He always drinking before his match. He drank on the way to his match. Right, he drank on <laughs> literally on the way to the on the apron of the ring on the way to the ring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the guy was as safe as they came. You know, mm-hmm. a guy that get, a guy that got ripped on a lot. New Jack, New Jack was completely safe in the ring unless you uh, unless you double crossed him or pissed him off. Right, he said that in a lot of interviews that, you know, he he was willing to work with anybody, but he felt if the he only were guy taking liberties. He wanted to hurt, <laughs> the only guy that he truly wanted to hurt was Vic Grimes because Vic tried to hurt him. Can't blame right. that. Right, right. But, you know. Yeah, and, and, and he gets a bad rap a lot, you know. Oh, and but, that, that yeah, other nonsense with, uh, with the young kid who, who – BS everybody into letting them work uh, um, with the mass transit. Yeah, the, the ma- mass transit, yeah. That, All that kid had to do to be safe in that ring is keep his big mouth shut. Right. But you don't go in there. Right. I don't care if you're, even if you are a trained rookie, you're a rookie. Eyes and ears open, mouth shut. He goes right. in that locker room going, uh, what do you want to, instead of asking the vet, what do you want to do tonight? Oh, I got ideas. I want to do this, this, and this. Okay. We'll walk and talk. We'll see you out there. Right. Just, it's stupid. It's bad business. Yeah, and, you know, and again, I, I, I listen to a lot of, um, uh, ahead, right. No, I, I get it. But I, I listen to a lot of um, podcasts <laughs> when they, um, especially when they, when they reference Ernie Ladd and just the, the mentor he was to a lot 
of wrestlers at the time, you know, guys that were maybe struggling or, you know, trying to get in and he would, you know, and Jim Cornette does it great when he, when he imitates them, you know, he tells him, you know, come, 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 come sit under the learning tree. And Ernie Ladd would would talk to these guys. I saw Ernie Ladd wrestle in September of 1977 at the International Amphitheater in Chicago. And him and Dick the Bruiser were in a Texas death match and they went 17 rounds. Wow. To the finish. Mm. Wow. Those were big men going 17. Now, don't forget, those were 17 three-minute rounds with a minute rest in between. So 51 and 17 is 68 minutes they were in that ring. These kids now get blown up after five minutes. Why? That's a a long time for anybody to be in the ring, let alone two big guys to be in the ring. (laughs) Yeah, but you know now these kids are, these kids got to get their cirque to bullshit in, and they get blown up after five minutes because they're going a million miles an hour. Yeah. And, and yeah, the groups that are it? yelling, "This is awesome!" couldn't do it themselves ever. There was I, I forget who it was. It was it, Stone Cold was wrestling somebody, and I, I can't remember who he was talking about, but he was telling them, "Dude." Slow, like slow down, like you're you're moving way too fast. Like this match is going to be over in like 20 seconds if we keep this pace up. You 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 got it. You got to slow it down. And he's like I mean, after about you look at it this way. a minute or two. He slow you know he slowed down and they had a good. He said he had a good like 11 12 minute match. But there used to be you know, a, there's a little bit of energy there. There used to be a prerequisite in wrestling. That if you were going to be the NWA world champion, you better go 60. Right. Because three quarters of your matches were Broadways. Yeah. 60-minute draws. Night in and night out. Yeah, and also, they didn't call Rick Flair the 60-minute man for nothing. <laughs> he wasn't the only one, though. They all did it. Harley did it. Dory Funk Jr. did it. Terry Funk did it. Flair, Dusty, Dusty not as much as the rest of them, but he did it. They, they all went 60. You know, New York, they didn't do 60-minute draws a lot. Backlund did a little bit. Superstar Billy Graham, as much as I love his work and, and admire his his promos and his ability to carry the crowd, Superstar couldn't go 60 if his life depended on it. Right. He just couldn't. He wasn't, he wasn't built that way. And New York was a different right. animal. Right. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something wrong, okay? What you just said, okay? What's that? What's wrong, bro? What happened to that in the WWE? They don't don't got no double count outs or nothing like that no more. So we straight up in a ring now. Bro, they didn't, you're right, but they didn't have that back in the the 70s and 80s either. Superstar Billy Graham, if you look at his record, never went 60 minutes. Not once. Because sometimes they just had, you know, double qualification, nobody didn't win. That's crazy, you know? New York wasn't built that way. Look at the cage matches back in the old days, WWF Mm -hmm. and the WWF. They weren't pinfall or submission inside the cage. You got in and your objective was to escape. Right. That was it. That was it. Different animal. You go down south of the NWO, it was pin or submission. Now, guess what? In the old AWA back in the 70s, before they changed the rules, 
It was pin or submission, and then you had to escape. That's rough. Nick Bockwinkle had more cage matches where he got the pin and the submission and barely got out with his life because you had to do both in order to win. Yeah, I do remember watching a couple of those early and not really understanding, you know, because, again, not being, um, you know, exposed to it. Like, yep. in order, why, in why order is to win, you had to beat your opponent. Then now the logic between Stanley Blackburn and Wally Carbo, and unknowingly, because no one knew about it at the time up front, and Vern Gagne was, that you had to beat your opponent and then get out. That's how you won the match. And that's why you didn't see a lot of cage matches in the AWA. You just didn't. They were true blow-off matches. Right. The reason why NWA title matches were in cages uh, wasn't because it was a, a a lot of times they were feud blow-offs, but it wasn't because um, these guys wanted to kill each other and then escape. It was to keep others from interfering. So you put them in a cage. Right. Dark Eight Eighty Three right. was to keep was to keep Orton and Slater and everybody else that Carly had hired to get the bounty on Flair out of the ring. Right. I mean, what 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 a great um, deal that was with you know because I I just watched the um, NWA Worldwide I think it was what it was at the time um, episodes where. Um, Slater and Orton were coming in, you know, to cash in on the bounty um, that Hardy Race had put on Ric Flair's head. And I thought, man, what, you know, again, watching it, you know, as as a fan, you're thinking there's there's no way Ric Flair's making it to Starcade. These two guys are going to find him somewhere, whether it's in the ring, in the locker room, in a parking lot, at the grocery store, wherever, and and put an end to him, and, and they're going to have to find another opponent Came out later. Now you notice that Harley's uh, bounty was twenty five thousand. Okay. Do you know what? Do you know why that number is significant? No. And no one knew this at the time, but we know it now because the you know it's all come out in the wash. Uh, The deposit on the NWA World Title that each champion had to put up that was kept in escrow and that he got back with interest upon losing the title, was $25,000. Oh, that's, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> you had to have twenty five grand, or you weren't going to become champion. And so right. the, the home promotion usually put that 25 Gs up. I mean, Sam Muchnick and Bob Geigel put it up for Harley. Uh, right. Crockett put it up for Dusty and for Flair. Um, you know, those were the guys that had their 25K put up for them. So when they, you notice Harley got his, now, again, if we had known then what we know now, you knew Flair was going to win them because Harley got his 25Gs back. Right. But again, it was as much simpler, and yeah, I'm going to sound like an old man, it was a better time because we didn't need to know all this nonsense that we know now. We didn't. No, yeah. No, okay. not we, at just, all. we didn't need to know. You know, I'm gonna we tell just you enjoyed the show for what through, it was. Going through the ordeal that I went through last month and being worried about getting home to my wife and making sure that she was okay and 
just treating what you know, treating this event that happened, which was you know, again, I'm not going to downplay it and say it's not life changing. It is, but I treated it like any other sports injury, even though it wasn't a sports injury. And the reason for that is I don't need people to know what goes on inside my head. You know, good days and bad right. days, more good than bad. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to, to to let you know what goes on in my booking office. Right. What do you just got to know? Is Chad going to come back from this? Yeah. No, right. I'm just saying, but the thing is, you know, what do you know? Well, Chad's going to come back from this. You're damn right I am. Bigger, right. older, and stronger than ever. Now, have I put a lot of the have I put a lot of the old animosity behind me? Yeah, I put it behind me. Let me tell you something. When you go through something like this and you've come close to dying, a lot of it just doesn't matter anymore. It's stupid. Right. Okay, old grudges and whatnot are just dumb. A lot of it just doesn't matter anymore because, again, our business has changed so much. There's not much left to protect. But now, will I will I still continue to? To kayfabe when I work, when I when I come back and I work shows, absolutely I will. You know, right. am I am I legit staring down the barrel of a million plus in medical bills? Absolutely I am. The current tally is 1.1 million and rising. Mm. They haven't finished adding it up yet. They haven't included the, the cost of my prosthetic um, power knee that I'm getting all of that because I want to be walking as normally as possible. Okay. And working again at some point, you know, that's another hundred thousand. So now you're looking at 1.2 mil. I'm not going to go out there. I'll let, I'll I'll say it here because you know what? I'm trying to prove the point that it doesn't matter because people are still going to see me and see the progress that I'm making. And and I'm going to let you in on what's going on with me. And, uh, you know, not that I'm looking for attention, because I'm not. You know, I spent 10, 12 days in the hospital before anybody knew what was going on. And my wife had to ask me more than once, do you want me to let people know what's happening to you? <laughs> Finally, I broke down. I said, yeah, let them know. Let them know what's going on. You know, but I was still protecting, protecting kayfabe up until November 5th. So I had one surgery right. already. I was in the hospital for five more days. I was in the hospital for a total of six days before I let anybody know what the hell was going on. And, and again, it doesn't change anything because, you know, the persona of Chaz Moretti is still is still um, a millionaire brat sports agent. just so happens that now that people know what's going on with me and I kind of let them in a little bit, um, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back to being a heel because that ain't going to happen. People actually like me now, which kind of sucks. Bad for business, but whatever. You know, it it is what it is. I mean, but here. So is there good and bad parts to the Internet? Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate. And, again, I didn't look for attention, but I'm fortunate to know that, you know, veterans like Don Morocco uh, took time out not only to read my post, but to comment on it and to wish me well. You know, and then wow. oh, there's a guy I grew up watching. And, and Don sends yeah, I love me a Don And Don puts a, a a comment on there, you know, uh, have, Merry Christmas in, in Hawaiian. And, you know, keep up the work. People are taking notice of you. And I'm like, cool, appreciate it. You know, Baby Doll, Nicola Roberts has been one of my one of my most ardent supporters. 
and I truly appreciate it. You know, they don't they don't have to. But again, it's right. nice that they do. But if I'm working a, if I'm working a match again, and in order to ensure my client winning means I got to cheat, <laughs> guess what? You can take your well wishes and you can shove them up your rear end because I got to do what I got to do to win. <laughs> right. You know, I, I've had a couple of it's oh, you know, that Chaz Murdy. I had one guy. I won't name him because I'm not going to give him the, the credit to, to about you know the to put him over so to speak. Yeah, I wish he would die. Well, guess what, pal? I ain't dying anytime soon, and you want to know why? Here, I can tell you. The nice part is I can I can tell you two ways. I can tell you the real way, which is I'm truly grateful for all the love and positivity and support that's been shown to me and shown to my wife Amy over the past month. That's the real answer. And the Moretti answer is God don't want me, and the devil's afraid of me. There you go. <laughs> you know, and, and again, Christmas wow. time. What does it mean? What does it mean now? It means something different now. It, it means that I, I'm I'm here enough to see it. Because I mean, had I not yeah. gone to the hospital, I mean, my wife was begging me to go to the hospital two days prior, and I didn't do it because I'm a stubborn old fool. But you know, had I not gone to the hospital when I did. Two days, the sepsis would have been in the bloodstream, attack all the major organs, and I'd have been dead. And that's reality. Right. That is reality, plain and simple. And, you know, the weird part is I never said this to anybody, but I'll say it here because we're amongst family, friends, and fans. Uh, the dreams that I was having when I was, you know, half delirious between Sunday and Tuesday, you know, between the 29th and the 31st of October, um, they were dark. They were sinister. Uh, they scared the hell out of me because, you know what, I I was actually staring at the abyss. And it's it's a sobering idea when you look back at it. And I, I asked my wife about this a couple of days ago, and she says, you were dying. She goes, you were, you were seeing what happens on your way to, on your way to seeing the light. You were dying. Mm-hmm. I saw the light. I know, and, you know, I wasn't, I got deep down, I wasn't ready to die yet. I had too much going on. Right. You know, and now here, with the, thank God with the advances in, in modern technology that uh, I'm going to wind up with, with a bionic. Notice that we don't say, they don't really say prosthetic anymore because there's varying grades of it. I'm going to wind up with a bionic that's going to make me, to the to those that don't know no better, it's going to look like it never happened, number one. And to those that do, they're going to be—they're going to remark at the quality that of life that I now have. It's not right. the end of the world. Twenty years right. ago, it was the end of the world. Now it's not. Yeah. You know, would I love to? Would I love to put on a Christmas show at some point as a promoter? Sure, I would. But as Al Snow said one time when we had this conversation, Christmas shows right now just won't draw. They just don't. Right. Because, like you said, Howard, people want to have a. They've got a thousand other things to do other than go to a wrestling show at night on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Right. On, on, yeah, on Christmas times. Day, yeah. It's yeah. with your families yeah, yeah. and all. Yeah. It's a different time. But no, are they going to run I, a full slate of shows? Are they going to run a full slate of shows on, on the 23rd? Sure, you will. You'll see every indie promotion that normally runs at that time will be running. But it's not Christmas right. Eve or Christmas Day. 
Same right. thing with New Year's. No one's going to run on New Year's Eve on a Sunday or New Year's Day on a Monday, but they'll run Saturday night, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, but no, you know, New, Year's, New Year's was and will always be my favorite holiday of the year because why? It's tailor-made for for um, persona. It's tailor-made for what I like. I like the finer things in life. I used to go to right. Vegas in my younger days six times a year and definitely on New Year's. Many a New Year's Eve, I'd be at the dice table at Caesar's Palace, bombed <laughs> out of my mind, making money. Um, I want to plug in something real quick, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. This New Year's Eve coming up, a cute dirty in Burlington City, like a firehouse there, okay? I'm going to break the news right now. We got Tommy Dreamer coming in. For this one show, for New Year's hey. Eve. Wow, in Burlington City, huh? Wow. The XPO. And plus, we got Johnny Cashmere on the show. You know, Johnny Cashmere is running the whole thing. You know who Johnny Cashmere is. Sure we do. Yes. Well, he's running his own show, and he got me working with him. I'm passing out the flyers for him and all. That a boy. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. But I, I yeah, just thought it was interesting. Yeah, where's this at? Uh, I think the news broke out earlier today, and like I said, let me break it out on here now because there is a show for New Year's Eve with okay. Tommy Dreamer. And do you know what, do you know what firehouse what it is in Burlington? On Burlington. Um, yeah, Burlington City, New Jersey. Yeah, Burlington City, New Jersey. Hang on. So now do they pay off the hot dogs or Hang on. Uh, the Mitchell Fire Hall. The Mitchell Fire Hall. Which one? Right off of, I'm sorry, The sorry. Mitchell Fire Hall, right off of 130 there. So okay. what do they pay off? And they pay off in hot dogs or cheesesteaks? Huh? Soft pretzels. <laughs> oh, they pay off in soft sure pretzels. Oh, I'm in. They, they, yeah, they, they pay off in soft I'm pretzels. Right. <laughs> uh, as long as they got hot mustard, I'm all in. Well, I'm just going to go to the firehouse and go go right across the 130, go to McDonald's, get some burgers. Nah, dude, if we're in a firehouse, <laughs> tell the firemen to start making some chili. What are you kidding me? Yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, have them make some chili. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to take a big bottle of Fireball. Fireball is in the ring. I can't drink anymore, Rhett. Sorry. Oh, I don't want you to blue moon. I don't want you to blue moon. Yeah, if they gave me well, if they gave me a wooden leg instead of a bionic one, then I could drink because I know where to store the booze. But yeah, I can't do that no more. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can't in his leg. <laughs> uh, it was kind of funny. I just... uh, Ricky Knight, when I when I was talking to Ricky Knight and I told him what happened, uh, Soraya Knight gets on there. I said, oh, you're an official peg leg. I said, that's right. I'm in charge of the Black Pearl now. <laughs> Forget Barbosa. Very I'm nice. in charge of the Black Pearl. Right. But, but I just pulled up a, um, an interesting match that happened on Christmas Day in 2006 yeah. between probably, okay. uh, you know, not probably, two of the best that ever did it. And it's Ricky Morton against Bobby Eaton in 2006. Oh, 
for the it's can Southern States Wrestling. Can you, of, can you imagine the amount of selling that went into that match between Ricky? I mean, Ricky could get sympathy from a demon. The way yeah. he sold. Bobby too. Bobby sold as a heel better than all three quarters of the guys working. No. Yeah, and you know, and 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 I'll, and I'll and I've said it before, and I'll and I'll say it again, and probably more as as we continue on, that if these guys now could watch a match against the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, and just learn from that and watch their promos, this business would be so much better. It would be so Master much better. Howard. That one part is not their fault. You've got television writers writing scripts. Yeah. There's nothing for them just, to learn. They got to read. They got to read lines. It's, there's nothing for them to learn. They lose the art yeah, form. I, they lose the magic. You know. I mean, yeah, at that I part, I they would bring, that part, I'll defend the wrestlers on. That's right. not their problem. It's. I can't say it's not their problem, but it's not their fault. They're being hamstrung right. by television writers. Again, guys that never did a lick in the sport. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, I listened to, to Jim Cornette when he was running um, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and he, when, when he was involved, I think he was involved in OVW, or they had a, a close relationship there. Well, he was with he OVW a lot for of, a long time. He, he had classes, like, I mean, he had wrestling classes, guy conditioning and cardio, and and bumping and, and, and things like that. But he also would teach them, you know, how to do promos. And he, you know, he brought up, you know, the, the rock and roll express, the midnight express, he brought up Dusty's hard times promo, which will go for down forever is one of the best promos ever. And, uh, and aside from that, he taught financial responsibility to these guys. What to do, you know, once you get paid, what to do with your money he to make sure you them, still had money. He gave them bullet points, Howard. All he told them yes. was convey this message. How do I do that, Jimmy? It's up to you to figure out. Right. Convey the message. Yeah, and, and That's it. it. And they, they, he would talk, you know, at length about, you know, going to, you know, um, down to Atlanta to do a TV taping. And they would spend hours doing promos and the guys were like, no, okay, we, we, we got to do, you know, we got to do this again. And they, and they would do it again and again and again, just to, to, to perfect it. Right. it. And they get well, I mean, it right. And, and, if you, and if you look at it, even the only time they ever stopped in Atlanta on a TBS TV tapings, the only time they ever stopped tape is when Jimmy made the reference to the Space Shuttle Challenger. That was the only yeah. time they ever stopped hitting. After they threw the fireball at Ronnie Garvin, they said, Ronnie's face went up faster than the Challenger. <laughs> Everything got shut down. <laughs> Dusty's, in the, Dusty's in the control booth, and the call comes up. The lights went dark, cameras <laughs> went off, and sound is done, and you hear Dusty over intercom. And this is what Cornette said, uh, Jim Cornette to the booth. Yep. And Jimmy gets up there and he told that story that. too. <laughs> and Stro tells that story as well as anybody. Uh, kid, we don't talk about no spaceship blowing up. Go do it again. <laughs> right. <laughs> but again, 
But, Jimmy doesn't make that mistake if he's not given the freedom to convey the message. Right, right. Okay? If he's not yeah, given and, the freedom and, and, to convey and, the message, that right. he, doesn't, he doesn't learn. Right. He doesn't have that. And, 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 Kid, you got to go back right, and, and, it, and it's Right, and it's what you said earlier. It was, it was just organic. It was something that happened. We all knew it happened. And he was tying in wrestling to what was happening today. You know, what happened, you know, you know over the, over the past couple of days. I think, it was, mm-hmm. I think it was less than a month before that taping that Challenger went up. Okay, so it was very timely. I mean, I, I mean here, yeah, one of yeah. the things that I'm very, I'm very fortunate in my own little career, I didn't have any, any type of success to the level of a Cornette or any of these guys. But one thing I'm proudest of is I never had a promo written out for me. Not once. I've had bullet points given to me on all my promos. But not once have I ever had a promo where I read off word for word. Never. Right, right. And my promos, and, and, uh, my promos are good. And, yeah, I'll toot my own horn. I don't care. My promos are good because I was allowed to be me. Yeah. I was allowed to and, convey the and, message as I saw fit. Right. Yeah, and, and um I heard Cornette and Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson tells it a little bit better, um, because he was a little bit more involved at the time, that when they did these promos, the the amount of things that these wrestlers had to remember, you know, what and, and when you say that they they wrote their own promos, they did, but there were things that they could and couldn't say because of when the show was taped as opposed to what we were seeing, you know, on television. So there were things that had happened already that these guys couldn't reference because we as fans hadn't seen it yet. And they got to remember all of the stuff, yeah. where they're at, where they're going, what time, if you, learn, you know, and if you learn promo, where they are. If you learn, go ahead. Yeah, if you learn promo structure properly, uh, a promo is used basically to, to promote your next event. So the five right. things you have to have in every promo is you have to have the date of the next event, the venue in the city, bell time, who's going to be your opponent, and for me, who am I managing? So I have to put over the date, put over the venue with the city, put over the title of the show and the bell time, put over my opponent, and put over my client. Everybody's like, right. well, why would you want to make, why would you want to talk strongly about your opponent? Because if you don't put your opponent over, if you don't show some pseudo respect for your opponent's ability, why would anybody pay ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollars to come see the match? If all you're right. going to say is my guy is so strong he's going to kick this guy's ass and that guy sucks, why would I want to spend my hard-earned dollar to actually see it? You already told me what was going to happen. Right, right. And, and that's where um, right, Arn Anderson was talking about the journeyman that he worked with, that if you just went out and and, and, I, and that's what I loved about, um, you know, Crockett Promotions versus McMahon was McMahon – you knew that Jose Luis Rivera was never going to win a match against a top-tier talent. It just wasn't going to happen. But it, it, it filled the spot. It was a good four- or five-minute match. 
But then you get guys down in in Crockett, you know, George South, and and even Denny Brown to a certain extent, that well, here, looked like they had a fighting chance. In, in I mean, how many how many matches did did George South have against Ric Flair, where George South gave him as much as he could handle, and Ric Flair would barely escape, even even though the match only went six or seven minutes. He would well, barely here, let, escape. Let, let me uh, let, let me. Uh, um, compliment you on that reference, so let me dovetail off of it a little bit. Jose Luis Rivera, Johnny Rods. Hey, yeah, Johnny um, Rods, yes. Yes. Do you know what those guys actually were for Vince Senior? Do you know why their matches never went more than ten minutes? And they were usually no. against either they were usually against either rookies or guys that were new to the territory. Do you know why that was the case? So we didn't know it back then. We just thought Johnny Rods gets his butt kicked. Do you know why right. they were like that? Johnny no. Rods and Jose, and Jose Luis Rivera were the in-ring talent agents for Vince Sr. They worked you in a match, and you sucked. They would let Vince know that you suck, not to book you again. Wow. Those guys were actually given – those guys were actually had a lot of pull backstage. Because they were the ones, wow. Steve Lombardi, too. They were the guys in the ring evaluating you. They don't forget um, a young Rocky John, a young Rocky Johnson Jr. of uh, The Rock. His first match was against Steve Lombardi. And if Steve yeah, didn't give I, him, yeah. if mm-hmm. Steve didn't give him a positive bill after that match, guess what? Good old Flex Cabana would have been said would have been shown the door, no matter whose kid he was. Okay, it's just like uh, it's like X Pac against John Cena. X Pac against John Cena, you know. Even before that, when X Pac was the one, two, three kid with with Scott Hall with Razor Ramon, that was yeah. the evaluation match. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that about Rivera. And that's I, how, I, I mean, that's I how he always... became the one, two, three kid. They were, they were Rivera and Johnny Rods more than Rivera. Those guys, he was the, he was the evaluation talent for new guys wanting to come into territory. Wow! You get you get past Johnny Rods, you get Johnny, you earn Johnny Rods' respect, and you have a booking. And if you didn't, you don't. Because Johnny Rods ran Gleason ran the wrestling part of Gleason's gym in New York. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He trained a lot of guys. You know, that's why I never it, understood why he didn't get, you know, elevated to that next level. But he was already way above that next level. You know, behind his the job scenes. wasn't to get elevated. His job was to wow. evaluate the guys coming in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Same thing with I actually met Johnny Rods too. Take a look cool at, the, at the Guerrero family, right? Okay, you had Gore, right. top talent. Chavo Senior, top talent. Chavo Junior, top talent. Eddie, top talent. Mondo and Hector, not so much. Why? Yeah, yeah, not. Do you want to know why? Mondo and Hector were the trainers and the evaluators. Wow. It was their job to, as they were wrestling to critique, to let to let the California promoters 
at the Olympic Auditorium, who at the time, back in the mid mid to early to, to late seventies, was was um, Mike LaBelle and his brother Judo Gene LaBelle. It was mm-hmm. and Gene LaBelle too was never a world champion. Why? They were the evaluative talents. They were there to evaluate to make sure that you knew what the hell you were doing. Wow. Pure and simple. You know, in, in fact, one of the few battle royals that was never that was never predetermined was the Los Angeles annual battle royal at the Olympic. Different people won that match. Andre was in that match every year. He won one time. The first one was won by Bruno San Martino. That was the only time that the boys were told, work it out in the ring. Okay? Sure. And they knew when to do good business. They knew when to when it was someone's turn and when it wasn't someone's turn. But right. again, we're getting, you know, I know the theme was we've got off topic a little bit, but again, no, that's fine. No. <laughs> we didn't need to, we didn't need to know what they knew and still be highly entertained. Right. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, my, and this, I, I, I always liked Johnny Rods. Um, you know, and, and and I liked a lot of the journeymen, like um, especially around around here, in the Philly metropolitan area. I'll call it um, a a mainstay from most of the '80s. I would guess, you know, on the on the mid card level was SD Jones. Yep. You know, never never won a lot of matches. Was, was yeah. a heck of a worker. You Trained know? a lot of and guys. I, I, and he, and he trained a lot of guys, and Johnny Rods was the same way. I mean, he was big here, He, you know, because, you know, New York and Philly are only two hours apart. You know, he was always – them two guys were always at the spectrum. Look at the guys that ran the power plant, okay? Norman Smiley and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Buddy Lee Parker, yeah. The State Patrol never won a lot, but old no. Sarge was put in charge of training everybody at the power plant. Everybody, fast Sarge. Yeah, Had to get I, past I, I, I heard, I heard, I heard some quote unquote horror stories about you know Parker stretching people just to you know kind of like Stu Hart did in in his dungeon just to see what these you know guys and girls were made of and are Bob you know, are they cut out? Who did? Bob Holly did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, just you know, to make sure that they were they were cut for the business. And to a different degree, Al Snow. Al Snow wasn't um Al Snow wasn't he was physically demanding, but he was more mentally demanding. If you weren't right. smart, Al Snow would expose that weakness. And you would either learn Right. And people look at Al Snow and all all they see is the head gimmick and they don't understand the brains behind it. Right, guys, are genius. Guys, yeah, are genius. And, um, yeah, I, I watched that um, that Hulu show that they had on with, with him, and it was, I, you know, it, it gave me more of an insight than I wanted, but it showed mm-hmm. you the 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 brains that Al Snow has for the business. And, and you know, in you know, here, I don't know if you, up in, yeah, go ahead. I, I don't know if you you you've seen the the. The series, and that's about eight episodes. Um, no, I've not. They were culminating in their in their big um, their their big event. I can't remember what it was, 
but OBW they were they kept OBW, yeah, yep. they, they were yeah they kept telling Al Snowman listen you, you you know to 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 make this work man you got to get back in the ring he's like no I I you know I don't want to like I there's because it, 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 early on in the series it wasn't making sense he's like I'm not just going to do it just to to, to draw fans, it's got to make sense. He's like, because it's got to make sense to the fans. They got to want to know why, you know, why are you getting involved? Like you haven't been involved through this point, and all of a sudden you're involved. And as it went on, you know, it started to develop, and you know, he he did, you know, get into the into the match, and it and it and by the end of the series, it made a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So it shows you he's not just he's not just in it. Listen, we're not in it to make a you know make a buck per se. But we're in no. it, I mean, this so is, this it makes young sense, and the people keep keep coming back. They gotta they gotta want to keep coming back to each show that we have, and it's gotta make sense for us to it makes sense for them to to keep coming back. There's a young kid that works for OBW that works for L right now that I've known since he was seven years old. Um, his father is a, a big promoter up in Wisconsin, and that's Cal Hero. And there's just a kid that grew up in the business. And he's got his head screwed on straight, and he's learning the right way. And he's taking, right. you know, they're they're bringing him along nice and slow, and he's over. Yeah. Why? Because he's learning. You know, and like you said, in right. the old days, a lot of guys learned on the job. You know, who was one of the evaluative talents up in the up in the AWA territory? Nacho Barrera. Nacho Barrera is a a very old and dear friend of mine, and was kind of funny the first time. Now, I had seen Nacho wrestle when I was a kid and get his butt handed to him by just about everybody. That yeah. you know, from El, he, he's worked everybody from El Santo all the way up to Hogan. Okay, when they were in the yeah. Okay, and I guess started yeah, no, I remember watching him. Yeah, I remember watching him on the, the early AWA shows. 19, he started in 1968. Okay, this guy never wow. had to worry about a job because Vern took care of him. Bruiser took care of him. But he was a worker, you know, and I'm working a show in Indiana, and it's the first time I was with this promotion. Where I'll never forget it. We were working a, a high school gym, and uh, they were mentioning that Nacho was in the audience. And I said, Nacho who, Barrero? And they're like, yes, I got to meet him. Bring him back here. Two kids that I was managing didn't have a clue. I said, how long are you two, <laughs> I said, how long are you two idiots been working for this promotion? Three years. Three years. And you don't know who Nacho Barrera is. We know he's just, you know, he's a nice old guy that sits in the audience. You goofs. I said, he's been working <laughs> before you were before you were a thought. Right. I said, he's worked everybody from El Santo all the way up to Hogan and Doc Winkle. Knuckleheads. You don't know who this guy is. You've never once bothered to ask him his thoughts or his critique or anything. Uh, no, yeah, you're stupid. That's why you, that's why they gave you they gave you me as your mouthpiece. Get out of here. But they brought back <laughs> Nacho, and I I explained you know what a big fan I was and admirer of his work, and he critiqued my work, and I I took notes because that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. That's what, right. That's what you're and supposed course, to do. And of course, I always carried at least three jackets with me in my in my. Um, in my garment bag, uh, again, I didn't say gear bag because managers, ma- any manager that takes a suit and stuffs it into a duffel bag is an idiot. <laughs> and we had a couple of those out there. I said, where's your garment oh, bag? Oh, God. Well, I just fold it up and put it in a duffel bag. You're a goof. Get away from me. You're not in my level. 
You brought up um, you brought up Nick, Nick Bockwinkle, and I just watched um, what was I just watching? Uh, one of the old USWA shows, and Lawler was hurt. Um, yeah, Austin Idol and Tommy Rich had turned on him, and yeah, put him yeah. on the shelf for a couple of weeks. And he was looking for a tag team partner, so he called Nick Bockwinkle. And at the time, Lawler and Nick Bockwinkle's relationship was still kind of tenuous. It wasn't – they weren't buddies. You know, they were – for all intents and purposes, they were rivals. And Nick – they interviewed um, Austin Idol and Tommy Rich, and Tommy Rich was saying, you know, I know that when, when I go to the corner to tag Austin, he's going to be there for me. You know, we're best friends, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Lawler – you don't know if Bockwinkle's going to be there for you and this, that, and the other thing. And then they cut to a Nick Bockwinkle interview, and Nick Bockwinkle, being who he is, gave a really great – I mean, talked probably five levels above my comprehension. But what he was saying was, he's like, you know, I don't know. You need an encyclopedia to understand Nick's promos. Right, yeah. Yeah, I need an encyclopedia, a thesaurus, a translator. I need all kinds of stuff. And he's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to – you know, take Lawler's tag when he needs it. Because, you know, he's like, we don't really get along. He's like, we're not friends. We're not going out to a party afterwards. We're not socializing. We're not going out to dinner. He's like, but I can tell you one thing, Tommy Rich. I don't like either one of you two. So if I get the chance to get my hands on you, he's like, you're damn sure knowing I'm going to get my hands on you. And I was and like, course, wow, like that. Why would, you, why would you believe that promo? What is that promo like, designed to do? <laughs> I, 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 if they were selling tickets, I would have bought one right there. Thank you. Thank you. Because that promo is going to make you buy a ticket. Yeah, right. I don't your know. Curiosity's up. Right. Because I don't know if I can trust Bockwinkle with Lawler, but I kind of believe that if he gets the chance, he's going to do some damage to, to Tommy Rich and Austin Idol. And that's what I want to mm-hmm. see. I want to see that final seen- tag. Did you guys ever see Jim Cornette's explanation of what wrestling is? Mm-mm. No. You got to no. look it up on you got to look it up on YouTube. But basically, to paraphrase, Jimmy Cornette says wrestling is you driving by and seeing an altercation on the side of the road between a big guy and a little guy, and then you you stop to look, but you're like, "Ooh, that big guy's too big. I can't do nothing." And all of a sudden, that big guy is wailing on the little guy, and you're you're watching, but you know you can't do anything to the big guy because he's bigger than you are. And then all of a sudden, that little guy fires up and starts coming back, and he starts beating the shit out of the big guy. And you're like, yeah, yeah, beat him up. Take care of him for me. <laughs> and you become invested in what yes. you're seeing. That's yes, absolutely. Right. Yes. And, you know, and that, you know, and I've probably seen it, you know, probably a hundred times that same interview because, you know, I, I did get to watch a little bit of USWA. But when I watched it again today, I'm like, I literally got goosebumps listening to Nick Bockwinkle talk. And he never raised his voice. He never got angry. My, he was kind of Ben Stein. He was so monotone. And I believe my tra- it. Yeah. I believe every oh, yeah. word my, that he said. Absolutely. <laughs> my trainer, who was my first promoter, um, basically had it worked out to where I ran roughshod. I formed a, a, a nice little faction with uh, – a rookie and, and uh, two female wrestlers, and um, we formed a nice little faction. And I ran roughshod over the promotion for a year, 
a year no one could get their hands on me. Okay, behind the scenes, why was that done? Because I was greener than goose shit, and I had to learn. Why to the fans, why? Who cares? They're not going to put their filthy hands on me until it came right. down to a uh, mm-hmm. until it came down to a six person, you know, no holds barred, no DQ cage match in which I got my butt whomped after the match and thrown in a cage a couple times, and I got color and whatnot, and people paid. They're like, are they finally going to get their hands on this guy? Well, you want to find out? Buy a ticket. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's, and that's the beauty. And, of it. And, and you look at the guys, and you look at the guys that did that, that that got that kind of heat for a long time. Bobby Heenan did it, you know. Jim Cornette did it, you know. J.J. Dillon to a, to an extent did it. Paul Jones did it. You know, you just if you, they, the just, if you would you reach for them, they, they would they yeah. would skate away, and you're like, man, he almost had him. But maybe next if time. You watch, if you and watch, if you watch the for a year, year and a half. South. If you watch the old tapes from Mid-South, that was the first promotion Jimmy Cornette worked after leaving Memphis. And, man, as a fan of Mid-South, all you wanted to see was Bill Watts put his hands on Cornette. This yeah. little brat's got to get his. This yeah, and, and little Bill Watts was another guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Bill Watts was another I mean, he gets a lot of, you know, criticism for, for how he ran his business, but I mean, he, he had his reasons, but the guy was, you know, at least two decades ahead of everybody else, you know, in in running promotions. The way he did it, the the the, the feuds that he had, and the guys that he that he drew, you know. I mean, you, you look at how popular he made, you know, the Junkyard Dog, you know, in the mm-hmm. South, and and what he did, you know, mm-hmm. what he did, for, you know, for the Junkyard Dog, and just just all of it, you know, and then. Like you said, Jim Cornette, I mean, I remember Jim Cornette having restraining orders against Bill Watts, and you can't touch him, and, you know, they're, they're literally face-to-face, but if Bill Watts touches him, you know, Bill Watts, it was like either loses promotion or gets heavily fined or whatever it was, and there always seemed to be something stopping Bill Watts from getting his physical hands on Jim Cornette until it was time for him to get his hands on him, and then the place would just go berserk. Because all of that Same frustration, thing. all the the the, the yeah. time that we had invested Hart. in it, yeah, yeah. oh How yeah. How many Texas fans couldn't wait to see Gary Hart get his? Yeah, and, and Gary Hart Bobby was another one that kind of flying. Gary Hart next got uh, was Michael Cole and he uh, dressed up in bubble wrap. Remember that match? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think Gary Hart gets the the recognition that he deserves for being the manager that, that he, cause he, he is right, right in there with, with Heenan and, and Cornette and those guys. Like he is there, you know, just the way he talked, it, you know, his eye, like you could look in his eyes and think, man, this guy's like straight evil when you're looking at him, you know, and just, just the way he, you know, he presented himself, you know, in front of the camera was, was, just fantastic. Gary Hart was a huge influence on me. Okay. You know, everybody's asking me, you know, who would be in your Mount Rushmore of managers? And I've said it all along. If I had to pick four people to put on a on a Mount Rushmore as far as managers are concerned, it would be Bobby Davis, Gary Hart, 
J.J. Dillon and Bobby Heenan. Those were the four greatest. Well, mm-hmm. between between Heenan and Cornette, because you know they're they're both interchangeable. And right. Dillon, Heenan, yeah. and Cornette are interchangeable. Three of them are interchangeable. But Gary Hart right. and Bobby Davis. Bobby Davis, because you wouldn't have managers without Bobby Davis. Period. You, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have all of those guys you just referenced without Bobby Davis. Right. Plain and simple. Right. They would not exist. And what people don't realize is Bobby Davis became a bigger success outside the ring, um, working with the McDonald's Corporation, than he ever was inside the ring. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and I think he that's where his, his, his legacy gets lost because yeah. because of his out, you know his outside dealings, you know, which were obviously oh, very lucrative. But he started working with the gets, McDonald's he gets, Corporation. He started working with Ray Kroc yeah. in the late '60s. So Bobby was only right. in the wrestling business for a short period of time. So right. Look at the influence. But right, that's what I'm saying. You know, his his, his legacy. I don't. I don't want to say tarnished because it has a negative connotation to it, but he doesn't get, you know, the the respect that he deserves, you know, because you know it, it was much shorter than than the average manager. I, I'll say. But oh, man, you're okay. right. None of these guys would exist without him. My friend was very nice. Don't forget, Bobby Davis was the first non-promoter to force the NWA to recognize Buddy Rogers as a champion. Buddy Rogers did not did not get the approval to win the title from Pat O'Connor uh, because of a sponsoring promoter. Bobby right. him and basically forced the NWA's hand into granting him that title shot. Right. And, and then the rest they say is history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if we had to put a Christmas card together, let's let's do this, guys. Let's play a little game. If you had to put right. a Christmas card together right now, utilizing anybody you could ever, give me your main event. Wow. And by ever, I mean ever, not wow. just 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth. Ever yeah. give me your main event. Wow, let me think. I know Rhett's got think, one. Right. He's got three. Uh, I, I got a good one. I got a good one. Go ahead, Rhett. All right. It is the holiday season, right? The main event has to be the eggnog match <laughs> with Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson. That's your main event. Cool. That's your main event. Okay. That's my main event for the uh, holiday season. Um, I'm going two 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 boys from Texas, obviously, because I, I just think that you know world class did so much for Christmas, and I think I'm going David Von Erich and a heel Stone Cold Steve Austin. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. What you got? What you got, Chad? What's your main event? Well, I'm going to go older, and I'm going to okay. sell out. I'm going to sell out a large arena. Uh, it's going to be NWA title match, vacant. 
So it's going to be a vacant NWA title match between Nature Boy Ric Flair and Jim Londis because Styles make the match. Wow. Londis will be unbeatable. And Flair and his prime. No, no, no time limit? 60 minutes. Okay. Straight one fall, two out of three falls. Two out of three falls, 60 minutes, traditional rules. Wow. Yeah, I would pay money so for thinking, that. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking Londis in, in three falls. I'm thinking that Flair takes the second fall, Londis takes the first and third. Wow. Yeah, that would definitely sell out the largest arena that we have anywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, boys, we're at the two-minute warning, so uh, yeah. we're giving out shout-outs and wrapping things up. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan, boy. What, what do you got? Uh, I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. You know, until next time, please don't drink and drive. That's all I got. All right. What do you got, Chaz? Anything? Again, you know what? Just a, a Merry Christmas to everybody, and thank you all again for your support and your well wishes and, you know, you guys getting behind me. And I really appreciate it. It, 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 it makes you understand what what uh, the holidays are all about. And, again, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the amazing Velvet as he continues his battle with cancer and Dave Burt and Stroh, who's getting stronger and stronger. You know, these guys are, are our family and our buddies, and, you know, we like to see them get uh, get better and be back at, at full strength or whatever full strength could be. You know, so... Um, you know, this is um, this is something that um, that we like to see. But um, anyway, other than that, uh, just wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And yeah, we're gonna be here before New Year's. So uh, and yep. next Thursday is still December. So don't think we're taking uh, two weeks off. We're not. We'll be. We'll see you all. No, we're not. Thursday. Yes, next Thursday, right back here, eight o'clock. Um, but I would encourage you to tune in on Tuesday nights at 7.30 for Brady Hickson in the room. It's our annual drunken episode. You'll want to tune in for that. I mean, it could be probably the best show of the year, or it could go completely off the rails in the first half an hour. You'll have to tune in and and listen and call in, and and we'll be talking some wrestling. So we'll listen to WCW – or, I'm sorry, Brady Hickson in the room on Tuesday nights starting at 7.30, and then we'll be right back here next Thursday, WCW Retro at 8 o'clock. Guys, yes, have a Merry Christmas. Keep praying, you know, for all of the, all of our family that is, you know, recovering in various stages. Um, and just be smart out there. Everybody have a great Christmas. It's been great, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, and Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, guys. Take care. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stroh Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stroh Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash palpistro.
the worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stiles of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get that nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts, and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Frisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just nine dollars a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found. Well, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Yeah. Here are exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Asher, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that contest? Um, well, actually, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it the law. Well, yes, but the whole thing is this. If you rules, as I always understood them, was that the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's 
WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 